these new people, as they learn, they're never going to be as good as you. And there are going to be some things that they leave on the table that it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially someone that's as frugal as myself. And like, I run a really tight ship with spending and money. And obviously that's our, you know, our goal is to, to profit. And so when I see a lead that I'm like, Oh, I would have sold that one. Yeah. You just kind of have to realize that when you have five sales reps, you'll never be able to do the job of five of them. So you have to kind of realize it's kind of like installing. There's only so many windows if you're an installer that you can install. But if you have five guys that maybe aren't as fast as you, there's still that five of them are still going to do more than you can by yourself. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and with me today is Abby Binder, from Abbey Windows and Exteriors out of Milwaukee. And I first met you recently, like two or three months ago, I think at that Grosso event, right? I believe it was. I yeah. go to all of them. So you go to all of to, them. Yes. Yeah. Try to learn as much good. as I can. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yes. And you, you have a really great story and. I immediately, when I heard you talking about all of what you're doing marketing wise and branding wise, I'm like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta have a conversation with you. And you're also not the typical home improvement business owner. So that should be, we'll probably touch on that a little bit. So why don't we start off with kind of your, give us the two minute version of the Abby story. Absolutely. Essentially, I started, I was supposed to be a gym teacher. And when I got done with school, I student taught and started working for my stepdad because there wasn't any jobs to be had in in Fayette. And I got a little taste of what it's like to have that seller's high and not have to be at school at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. So I started in the business that way. After about three or four years, I wanted to get into selling higher end products. I was a big triple pane proponent in Milwaukee and he kind of wanted to be more of that double pane quantity over over quality. And so he dared me to start my own business. And I did. 13 years later, we really grew during COVID is when we really took off. And now I have about 35 employees. And we're moving into a 17,000 square foot showroom as we speak over the next couple of weeks. So my team has been diligently doing that. And we've just exponentially grown to the point where this year we're on pace to well, we should hit about 17 to 18 million this year. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. And so I like that you said that the seller's high. So you got, you were on the seller, the selling side of the business. I was, and I, I had to kind of learn, I didn't even know what a stop was when I first started. And so I had to go to installs and learn exactly what it was like to do a full frame versus a pocket fit. And Every time I ran into a competitor, I'd go online and I'd research everything I could about the product. And I had to be better than than the boys, essentially, because when I would go up to a house, I would hear the husband and wife whisper to each other, it's a girl coming. And so then I and a lot of times it was almost a backhanded compliment that I'd get of, well, you know, more than those guys know. 
So I, I took that as a compliment, but obviously it was one of those things where I should be on an equal playing field. So it's kind of essentially how I built the brand and kind of ran with it with that differentiation that I had even from the beginning. Yeah. I like your tagline. What is your tagline? My tagline is if somebody asks you if you know a guy in the business, you can say no, but I know a girl. Yeah. I think that's great. It's so, you know, marketing, the number one, my mentor taught me that the number one sin in marketing is to be boring. And your stuff is definitely not boring. Let's talk a little bit about, because you've had, you know, you didn't have overnight success. I mean, you worked at this and worked and worked. And then, you know, finally, it all kind of came together. You had your processes down, you had your people down, you had your profitability down. And then, you know, you had an opportunity during COVID to, to really grow. But let's talk a, before all of that, you laid a lot of groundwork with, you know, branding. Let's talk a little bit about, about that. So essentially how I came up with that slogan, it used to be, I'm Abby and I put my name on every job. And I was sitting waiting to record some radio commercials and my friend was texting me, hey, do you have a guy that does drywall? And I was texting her back and saying, no, but I have I have a girl, a friend that, that does it. And then she's like, do you have a guy that's a painter? And I was like, no, but I have a girl. And then I was thinking, that I could write a commercial like that. So I literally wrote the commercial while I was waiting to record other commercials and never thought of it as a tagline until I started getting all of these people from the TV and the radio saying, hey, I love that new commercial. I know a girl, I know a girl. And essentially it just kind of organically took off. And I thought, well, there it is. That's the, that's it. That's the, that's the brand. Yeah. And that's when I just started to really push it. And that's kind of what launched us into the growth. And the other part of it was kind of a serendipity, you know, mistake type thing where COVID hit and everybody was turning off all of their TV campaigns. Well, I was so busy answering the phone and not even thinking about my marketing that my whole market spend that I had planned, I kept launching and forgot to turn it off like everybody else. And that's essentially what took us to a whole nother level was a mistake. Nice. But, you know, I mean, one of the worst mistakes that people make is during a down, you know, downturn or if business slows down, the first thing they cut is marketing. And it's like the yeah. dumbest thing that you can do. I'm hearing that now. I'm hearing now that people in this environment are turning their their marketing efforts down because they don't have the money. And I'm like, get the money from somewhere else. That's the last thing you should be you should be turning down. But great, I'm glad you uh, were so busy. You made that mistake. Essentially, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. We've been really ramping everything up, and we have not had. We're having another hiring class for about six more sales reps in the next month. We're we have a call center that we're up and and running. We've been pushing. My call center manager has been pushing to fill appointments every single day, confirming those appointments. So. We haven't really had, thankfully, a struggle on the leads yet. I haven't seen that, but we're also pushing harder too. We're not, yeah. we're not at all like laying off the gas. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what you got to do. I mean, look, I mean, we know leads are going to get harder to get. They're going to get more expensive. They already have. I mean, the the cost of an issued lead has gone through the roof. But you got to be able to adjust and be able to pay for that. 
and you know make it up in in uh hopefully with the right pricing and a good a good selling system so you do radio and tv and what really fascinated me about your presentation is you're not in i mean you're in a pretty good sized market but you're pretty if I understood the way that you do it, you're pretty nimble with it and you don't spend like ridiculous amounts of money on radio and TV. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I first started, I had a guy call me and he said, I can get you on TV for a thousand dollars. And I thought it was just some prank. And I was like, no way. And he's like, I promise you. And he was just starting out as well in trying to sell commercials they, my local ABC affiliate, they produced my commercial. They gave me, it was kind of like, a, again, a little taste of the high. You get a little taste of a, of the commercials and the, the, he gave me a ton of bonus spots. He wanted me to succeed. And then I started adding in more and more days. And so to somebody that was trying to start out with that take marketing, that TV and radio, my suggestion would be do 15 second spots. I never go longer than 15 seconds. They're bookends, so I'm the first one out of the commercial break and the last one before you go back into the sh the programming. We only go we only started out on Mondays and Tuesdays. Now we do four days a week, and we would just do like two weeks a month. And so then, as you kind of ramp up, you can add another week out of the month. But that's really what was successful for us. We only do the news. Now we're on like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, but we don't do like blanketed six A to six P type programming. It's very dialed in. And it's calculated in our approach. And so I have like two or three more affiliates of stations I haven't even turned on yet this year that I'm just kind of kind of waiting for when my call center manager says we're slow, then I'll I'll ramp those up. But that's the biggest thing is is just being calculated in your approach and not just throwing money into a marketing budget and hope that it sticks. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Yeah. And if you listen, if you ever read uh, Rich Harshaw's book, The Level 10 Contractor, his stuff is very in line with my beliefs when you're writing a commercial and how to write it, like literally take the words reliant, efficient, affordable, just remove all of that, that lingo. One of the best words of advice that my, my coach, actually the tennis coach when I was in college said is, you know, take all, take a sentence and try to reduce it to the least amount of words. And that's kind of what I do when I write a commercial, because I can't have anybody else write my stuff. I have to write my own spots. And I, I really try to focus on what do the customers say to us? And then how can I spit that back out to a mass audience? And that's how I, I think. So when we were at the Grasso event and that one guy said, I said, what separates you from everybody else? What's your brand? And he said, we're family owned. And I said, so what? That's what's in that for the customer? How does that affect the customer in any way? And I made him dig a little bit. And he's like, well, because we care. And I said, so does that, so, so do I, I don't have my sister working for me, but I care just as much. And then he finally started getting into it and thinking, well, we care so much that we're talking about your job at the dinner table. I'm like, all right, now you're, now you're resonating. Now you're getting closer to that brand, that, that piece that's going to make people want to call you. And I think that's where people get too much of the the fluff and the words and you have to get them to to see that right brain that that emotional side of them can you give us an example so i just wrote my commercial i just wrote was we have a customized solution to your home we have eight different ways to install your window where most guys only have one so they're going to pocket fit a 1990s metal out they're going to pocket fit a 1950s wood wood window we're going to customize all of that because if you're going to trust somebody that only has one way, 
with 10 different types of window styles out there, I'd be very nervous about that. And that's kind of how I wrote my my last commercial to really focus on that customized approach. Interesting. So the focus is on, it was almost more like a product knowledge approach rather than talking about showing up on time and doing the job right and the guarantees and all of that. Yeah, because all of that is expected. If you do the right. job right, you're never going to get like this great job type thing. It's like you you showed up. You I expected you to do that. Right. So anything beyond that, that you can, like, for example, when I write a commercial about a roof, I'll say, we're going to get in the attic. We're going to do a full inspection. We're going to check to make sure you don't have condensation and hot air from your bathroom blowing through your attic when the vent should be actually cut into the roof. Those are little things that that should be done, but not every roofer is doing. And so those are the things we focus on is really try to get in there and pinpoint. For example, we're the triple pane company. If you don't want to be wiping down your windows throughout the winter with condensation, then I wouldn't think about double pane windows. I'd go to the triple pane right away and just try to hit those those right brain pain points where the customer can envision themselves putting a stick in the window or putting plastic on their windows or wiping them their brand new windows down because of condensation. So I try to really focus on that kind of stuff. Even with progressive foam, with how much they've taught us with siding, I wrote a commercial about how, did you know that an entire wall of your house it has is uninsulated, even if you have two by six walls fully insulated? Because the studs, 25% of your house is studs. And then hopefully it gets people thinking like, wow, I never thought about that. Maybe I should call them and see what that's all about. So we give them like, you know, that 15 second taste of, of what we have to offer. And I think that that customized solution gets people to call us. That's a really interesting approach. You know what I I really like that comes across when you say it? There's so much confidence in your voice too. There's no, there's zero wishy-washy. There's zero like fluff. There's zero, there's a word I'm looking for, but you're not playing any games. You're like, you're, you're like, I'm right between the eyes. The only thing though, that would concern me about that approach is do do well obviously it's working so you know but do people understand what a stud is and what a two by six is and you know the pocket fitting the window and I try to make it like a little bit more of like a basic you know 101 approach to it but most people will think in their mind well my house is insulated and then they don't think that the studs that hold you know, that hold your house up, those aren't insulated. And then they start questioning it. So they want to call in the expert. And that's what our job is, is to be experts in the to home. Yeah. So that, and there's always a call to action. There's always some, some sort of offer going with it. But when I've seen my competition come in with a coffee mug and offer, you know, call right now for an Applebee's gift card. I'm that's not me. That's not us. And so we're going to kind of take that opposite approach as with my radio show. I'm on I was on 70. I did 72 shows last year. That was a lot. So I had to scale that back. Wow. Yeah, I was on. I was on every weekend, almost twice on Saturdays and Sundays. Now we're on Saturdays. But I talked for an hour just about the products, about who we are. And that that doubled my business at the time just going on that AM radio show. Well, what's interesting about that approach, first of all, it's probably pretty inexpensive, right? It's a couple thousand dollars per show. Okay. So what, what you get though back, the leads are so solid that, yeah. that it definitely is worth it. 
Well, look, two grand for you to talk for an hour and how many commercials are you putting throughout that? So you're developing this authority, you're developing credibility and and, and also that expert status. So the radio show thing, I think, is really interesting. I don't, I don't think there's anybody that, that cannot benefit from doing that. The thing is, the AM radio, that's what you're on, right? AM radio? It's a conservative talk radio that, in our market, is no, the number two station throughout all of the southeastern Wisconsin area. So interesting. So, you know, it's like one of those things, like newspapers, you know, AM radio, newspapers, like... Are people still listening to AM radio? It's crazy and how many there are and how many people listen. The market, the the way that the statistics show that people listen to that for like 15 minutes straight compared to the average FM station is like less than three minutes because then there's, as soon as there's a commercial, they switch to the next, the next song or AM radio, they have skin in the game. They want to hear what that news talk person has to say. So I would never really advertise much on FM radio. I never found a lot of success with it, but AM talk radio where people are listening to the whole program when Rush Limbaugh was on with, you know, there's some other syndicated guys, but in our market, the local guys tend to get quite the audience. Interesting. And so, and you do one hour. It's a 40, it's about 45 minutes with the commercials and everything. Uh, with the commercials and everything. And so are you the host or is there a host with you? What's the format? So I have a host that asks questions and we can pretty much talk about any product line, anything we want about the business, how we've grown. So I've kind of, I've been on it for 10 years. So people have seen us grow and been able to call in, you know, the only downside with that, as you grow, you have people in place to then handle any customers or any issues and any questions. And they all want to deal with me. Because they think that I'm in their their living room. They see me on TV. We're friends. That's right. They know you. Right. So that's the only caveat to naming the company after myself and then going on and branding the company and doing the commercials and being on the radio. It's it's that one thing where I can't hide. You know, I I can't be Oz. Yeah. But but hey, it's working. It is. It's it's been a wild ride and it's crazy how much reach we have because I just got these numbers out from my media people and in 2017 we had 0.9% if the, what they did is they surveyed people in the mar- in the area and they said when you think of the, the window replacement company who do you recall and Pella and and Anderson are always going to be number 1 and 2 nationwide that's just expected you're never going to beat that that fish but then we were 0.9 and we were like one, not even 1% of the market share. And now with, after COVID, with all the advertising we did in 2013 or 2023, I should say, we are now at a 9% share, which is number two in our market after Pella and Anderson. Wow. So it's huge. That's huge. <laughs> Brands working. And we're now looking at, obviously, as we want to keep growing the company, there's only so much of that take marketing you can have. And I still have a couple other stations that I can do. I still have our our local brewers, which is our sports that we are looking into. But I've also been then focusing on canvassing and events and all that make marketing, which to me, it's one of those things where I would rather write the commercials and write the check. And yeah, and the, the make marketing is just so much more work. And it's just one of those mountains that it's kind of, you know, you think about it and it's like, God, I don't want to climb it, but it's yeah. essential. You have to. 
Yeah. Well, especially when you get to be your size, you you really need to diversify. Well, I mean, look, at every size, you need to diversify your lead flow. But especially as you're getting bigger and bigger, you need to have all these different buckets that are bringing that are bringing leads in. Yeah, canvassing, make marketing is is it is a lot of work, but if it's done right, it's very effective, can be very profitable. And, you know, I think there's too many people that sit around and wait for the phone to ring. Obviously, you know, much smaller companies, but you can't sit around and wait for the phone to ring. And the nice thing, you know, the nice thing about this business and kind of the bad thing about the business are, you know, one and the same is that you start every day with Z at zero. Essentially, yep. every morning you walk in, you got zero sales. Now you got to go out. And so you're either going to wait in your office to make sales. But the nice thing about home improvement is we can just go pick a neighborhood and go start knocking on doors. And, you know, I think it's necessary to have to have both. Exactly. We've. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. We've been trying to focus even after at the Columbus qualified remodeler when the five powerhouse ladies got up there. And wow, that was the fact that Pat was able to to put all those smart women in a room. I mean, I was I was there with a pen listening to them because yeah. I respect all of them so much. And a lot of what they were saying was really consistent across the board. You know, you never want 20 percent or more than 20 percent of each single lead source to be generating from one, obviously one market or one source. So yeah. I've really been focusing on that as well, because when the market turns, you don't know what's going to happen and you want to be able to have a backup plan. It drives me crazy though, when, when you get these, the magazines come out and they, they focus on one contractor of the month and they say, what's your, what's your best lead source? And everybody's always says referrals and repeats. And it's like, come on, I understand you don't want to tell everybody your secret sauce, but if referrals and repeats are your main lead source, that's great. But there's market that you're that you're not untapping then, because yeah. that means to me that there's so much more room for the company to be able to grow. Granted, we obviously with what you guys do at G4 and what we're trying to do, we want that referral business. But there's so much more out there with with other sources that people need to go after. Oh, absolutely. You can't rely on repeat and referral. Let's talk about selling. So when did you hire your first salesperson? I dabbled with hiring salespeople a little bit, like a friend of mine here and there. But when I actually decided I was going to go into trying to get myself out of selling was 2018. Wow. Okay. And that's when I, I realized I could not replicate what I do as the owner 
And so I had to, I hired actually Yoho and they came in and actually gave us a step selling system. And that's kind of where I realized there's only so much I can teach because I was just kind of like a maverick on my own and there's no way that you're going to replicate that. And so once we bought into the selling system, that's when we were able to actually start bringing on salespeople and start to see the growth. Yeah. Just on that point, my buddy, John Anglis, same thing. He was out there. He could sell like nobody's business, just like you. I'm sure you walked in and almost everything you sold. But the thing is, is you can't, there's, there's, it's intuitive with you, with all of us. You know, I have my style, you have your style and what people don't understand. And I made this mistake too, is we think that we could teach people how to do it the way we do it. And we can't, I mean, there, you right. can't teach that. And so that's where that step selling system comes in. And it's just shocking to me how many people out there, how many contractors out there don't have a selling system in place and they try and teach people how to do it their way and they fail and they say, well, you know, and they throw their hands up and say, oh, it just doesn't work for me. Well, exactly. And one thing I had to get over that, I, it would set hard, you know, it was a really hard thing was you, you are going to waste leads. These new people, as they learn, they're never going to be as good as you. And there are going to be some things that they leave on the table that it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially someone that's as frugal as myself. And like, I run a really tight ship with spending and money. And obviously that's our, you know, our goal is to, to profit. And so when I see a lead that I'm like, Oh, I would have sold that one. Yeah. You just kind of have to realize that when you have five sales reps, you'll never be able to do the job of five of them. So you have to kind of realize it's kind of like installing. There's only so many windows if you're an installer that you can install. But if you have five guys that maybe aren't as fast as you, there's still good. Five of them are still going to do more than you can by yourself. And that's kind of the mentality that I had to, to start to have is that, percentages for me when I was on my own, when I'd go to these conferences and they'd say, well, if you can, if you can schedule 70%, 80% of your leads that come in, you're doing a great job. And I was like, what? I schedule like 95% of mine. And so I had to get like used to like those numbers starting to go down where I was selling, I was closing at 55, 60%. And they're like, well, if you have a 35% guy, that's a good number. And I was like, really having to struggle with those numbers being where they were at. But then when you do the math, you're like, at the end of the year, though, there's you're going to make more being the CEO than you could how many sales you could have by yourself. So yeah, I'm so glad you said that you said that so beautifully, too. I mean, we talk about that here all the time and try and just get people to understand what you just said. And you said you said that beautifully. So one of the things I was thinking, I'm sorry, I have to ask you, So when you first started hiring salespeople, were they men or women? They were women, actually. I hired a couple of my friends at first. I actually had four women salespeople. Wow. And yeah. And so as we grew there, there's only so much you're going to be able to do with your friends and people that you know as a smaller kind of mom and pop shop. And when you want to get to another level, there's people that aren't going to be able to get to that other level with you. And so Mm -hmm. there's some sacrifices that have to be made and maybe they don't like the direction that the company is going because when it was just all of us as friends running this small company it was a lot different than creating a corporate type structure and having a handbook and all this other stuff in place so it's been hard to actually try to attract women that just you know off the street apply on indeed type thing because 
it's a niche type market for a woman to be able to come in and be able to like grab your window sample, grab your ladder, get up on a roof, get in an attic. I mean, I hate mice and I, trust me, I don't want to go in attics at all. Yeah, me too. But it was just one of those things where at the end of the day, I know if I'm going to sell this by going in the attic and nobody else is going in the attic, well, then I'm going to separate myself and I like money, but not everybody has that mentality and they would rather sell pharmaceuticals or, you know, go to, into an office type setting where this is, this is not for the faint of heart. I mean, you're going to get your teeth kicked in a lot and, and women in this industry tend to gravitate more toward the marketing or the HR roles and that's fine. But I wish that more women would take the chance and, and have that, you know, that desire to want to learn more about the, this side of the business. Yeah. So do you have any women now that are salespeople? I don't. And no, they kind of all just washed out. Yeah. And how, how was it when you started to hire salespeople? I would imagine you had to, at the beginning, you were the one that was hiring them and you were the one that was training them. How did they react to that? Well, actually, Mandy, my vice president, she at the time was doing most of the training because she came from a corporate structure and had a sales background. So she did most of that. And we, you know, we, they say, if you can get, if you hire three, you can keep one. That's pretty much the average in our industry. Yeah. And we've been trying to to nurture guys and really stick with them and, and make sure that they're successful. But it's, it's pretty much, it's true. You go through a class and it's obviously it's a commission only job and, and you're dealing with homeowners and trying to get people. We don't want to hire people with sales experience in the industry because we found a lot of bad habits and bad not habits, coachable yeah. guys. So then it takes, it takes time to learn the process. So we've, we've basically focused on people that have sales experience, but not in our industry. And then we can try to mold them from there. We've tried to shorten our sales cycle with our training cycle. It was, it was about six to eight weeks. We've shrunk that down now to about four to try to get them on the road. But again, it's hard for me to sit back and watch these new guys waste my leads, so to speak. And I just have to to be patient and and bite my tongue with my my sales managers and my staff to be able. They're they're always like Abby, it's fine. Let them let them learn a little bit. Let them lose a couple jobs. And and as much as I hate it, I it's a process, and we have to trust the process. You have to trust the process. Yeah. So it's not been an issue then for you. I'm a pretty strong person. I don't think you are. You know, yeah. And I. I know my stuff. So when I come in and even if I do like some siding training or I come in and train the guys or even on the process, I know the Yoho process, like the back of my hand. And so I think that these guys, I can be a little intimidating when I come in and I want to role play. Cause I'm like, you can throw whatever you want at me. I've been doing this for 15 years. Yeah. I can, I can trump you and you're not going to win this one. So you just said something great. So when I have a client or somebody, I mean, I could think of, of in our, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not going to name any names. So in our, our mastermind groups, we meet three times a year live. And there's a few people, there's 24 companies. And in there's a few situations in there where people want to jump straight to hiring a sales manager. So they've got like, two salespeople or three salespeople, they're tired, they're they're out running some leads themselves, they have that innate ability to just sell and they can't transfer it to somebody else. And we're telling them, 
here's your steps. I give them my buddy John's system. I mean, it's here's all the videos to watch. Here's all the scripting. Here's the iPad a presentation. We give them all here. Just follow the system. And the thing that we say to them all the time is you're looking for a unicorn. You're looking for somebody to come in and save you from having to go out and learn the system yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for a fact, and you just, again, verified it for the 20th time. You said, I know the system inside and out. You can throw anything at me, Mr. Trainee or Mr. $3 million, $2 million a year salesperson. And I will know how to deal mm-hmm. with that because I know the system inside and out. And there's so many people that just want to skip that step. Is it possible? I don't think so. I never followed the system when I was selling by myself, but then I realized sitting back on it, how much more I probably could have sold even, even from yeah. what I did, if I would have followed the system and loved the ones I was with and not just said, here's my price, take it or leave it. I mean, there was so much I learned from following the process yeah. and the process works. There's times where customers aren't going to like it, but it's all about reading the room. And we literally spent probably an entire training one day, a couple, a couple weeks ago, just on having our guys do the commitment to the agenda. And they were, they were not understanding. It's not your words. It's how you're saying it. It's people have two things that they never want to give up money and time. You're asking somebody for 60 to 90 minutes and you haven't even told them why you cannot ask somebody. Well, the office said it's going to take 60 to 90 minutes. Okay. Is that cool with you? No, it's not cool. You haven't even told them what you're going to do for 60 to 90 minutes. So just getting people to understand like that street smarts of like, you have to make people feel comfortable before you can ask them for that. If you don't understand the process and even that first part of the process, there is no way you can keep going and understand the rest. Yeah. So that's why I just, I'll sit and break it down and focus on every, I made them watch the movie Miracle with Kurt Russell. We watched the entire movie Miracle on Ice. And I said, do you guys understand now why we need to break everything down? And I think they finally got it and realized this is why she's so hard on us about one little step. Yeah. So hopefully it resonated with them. But you know how salespeople are. Every single week role play, they go back to their habits. That's right. And that's another key factor is it's so funny that you said that. Me and John yesterday were, were in a meeting. I brought him this guy who's doing, this would drive you insane. This guy's doing $40 million a year. Okay. Now last year he lost money. And so he lost money the year before too. He's got like 35 or call it 40 salespeople. Okay. And so when I first met this guy, sorry, I'm trying to make this quick. And three things are coming into my head at the same time (laughs) of this situation. But when I first met this guy a year ago, I asked him three questions and I had him stumped in three questions. And I go, dude, you're losing money like a lot of money. You just, I don't think you know it. And sure as shit, he lost $2 million last year. Okay. So I just saw him. I just saw him recently and he's, and he comes to me and he goes, Hey, you know, what about this whole selling system thing? I go, dude. Yeah. Tell me about your selling system. He says, well, we have a system. I go, okay, tell me when you hire somebody, what does that look like? Their training was basically here's a checklist of 16 things that you have to do in the sales presentation. And then he rides along with another salesperson. Okay. 
And then he's supposed to learn from the other salesperson how to do it. And then they start giving him leads. Okay. So then I asked him, how do you know that that other salesperson is doing it right? Well, I don't know. Like, so why in the hell would you? And it's shocking, $40 billion a year. I mean, it's obvious they know how to pump out the work, but it's these little nuances. So one of the things when we got on the call with John and John showing him his system, just like what you said, it's this one sentence that gets him into the house that John was like, he had the guy role play it with them. The first, very first sentence in the whole system. And he says to the guy, do you see why words matter? Do you see why the way that you say the words matter? And it's shocking to me how many people will just like, just here, just here's a lead, go sell it. Exactly. I don't care how you do it, just go sell it. It's, we actually implemented Rilla about a month and a half ago. Yeah. It was eye-opening for me to listen to these Everything you do, right? It amazing. And I would... I would listen to them and say, I, you know, we have no, one of our core values with the sales team is no egos. Check your ego at the door. We, I'm here to help you. You're going to have to have some thick skin because like you said, I'm a direct person. So I don't fluff anything. And I'm like, all right, let's listen to your Rilla. And I played it for everybody. And I said, do you think that that is the commitment to the agenda? And I'm like, we're going to role play this again and again and again. And a nice thing is for the call center too, they can see when the sales reps are wasting the leads because they're bonused on the demoing and they're bonused on everything. So that was a game changer for us is implementing that because then I can see why they're struggling and I can play it back and say, and they, you know, they had pushback at first with it. They thought we were spying on them. And I had to tell them if Tom Brady gets to watch how he threw an interception and see how he could have done something better, would you not want to be like that and be able to see how you can improve without somebody at uh, on a ride along every time? So we finally got them to buy into it. And I also told them they weren't getting any more leads if they don't, if they don't hit record when they get into the house. Yeah. You almost have to with some of them. They, we had some pushback, but they're starting to realize that it's there as a learning tool, not as a spying tool. Right. And also to protect them too, because there's times where they even said, I swear I did it. Listen to my Rilla. And so you can go back and and listen to it. Yeah. So for those of you listening that aren't sure what, she just told you about Rilla is a software that records the whole sales presentation. It's got AI in it. It's super cool. But so not only, I mean, look at all of what she's doing here. So you're getting trained for four weeks. Okay. And then there's some nuance after that, you know, they're not just being thrown out into the thing so that then you got to come into meetings every week and then you got to do role-playing. And then now she's got a system where every call, every sales call is being recorded like film, like, you know, like Tom Brady, Tom Brady's looking at film. He wants to see how did I do? And it's, and it's amazing that when you explain it the way that you did, and Rilla really is not to get anybody in trouble, it is an improvement tool. It's how do we get better? How do we help? How do how do we help you sell one more job a month? Just as an example, right? And so it's amazing how all the tools are out there, and yet how many people just skip over this stuff and just say, well, you know we have a system or no, they just go out and they do it. And, or we email estimates and, 
you can't do it that way. This is the way she's telling you the way to, to, to do it. What uh, I tell my team all the time is we're not that special. I'm not that special. You're not that special. I, and I always tell them, no offense, but we're not that special. Yeah. Nobody is going to say to you, hey, go get three more leads or go, go get three more estimates. And I promise you, I, I love you so much, Brian. I'm going to call you back. Yeah. No, they're going to say once you're gone, like Tim Munch says, 80% of your shot is gone the minute you leave that house. That's right. So if you don't get it today, and I'm not saying it's, you know, we went over this last week at, at Yoho. It's not high pressure. It's that you're doing yourself, your company, and that customer a disservice if you don't ask for the sale and you leave that without knowing what they want. It's nothing's going to change between now and Friday unless they're getting a big inheritance check. Nothing's yeah. going to change. Either you did your job or you didn't. And unfortunately, so many people are scared to just ask for the sale because they get uncomfortable. And yes, that's uncomfortable. But in that uncomfort is what or discomfort is what makes you money. That's right. So you're not paid to run leads. You're paid to make the company money. Yeah. And I like what you said before. You said, I like money. I do. <laughs> I ask people that all the time. It's like when they tell me this crap about, oh, well, I'm not doing that. Not that. Do you like money? And they look at me like I'm like I'm nuts. It's like you obviously don't like money very much because you're not doing the things that are going to make you any more of it. So it's amazing to me how much my competitors in my in area, like how low their prices are. And it's yeah. and they're selling the same window, whatever. It's it's amazing to me how they're making any money because I mean, well, we're making not. a right. We're making a very good profit and a fair profit. But. I'm not in this to to make five or ten percent. I'm not right. in this to to you know have everybody else get paid and not myself. And and like you even said at the accelerate, you know we have too much risk. Yeah. We take all the risk, so we should have some reward with that. Absolutely, you should. Look, I I think you know when you're a good contractor in your community, you are a valuable part of that community, and you deserve to make a very, very good living. And if you set the business up right, the way that you've done it, you deserve to get rich. Absolutely. Look at all of what, you know, look at, I mean, it's it's no small feat to put together all of the parts and pieces that you've put together over all of these years to go and serve your community. Yeah, so I, I love your attitude. Oh, thanks. Awesome. I mean, any advice I could give to everybody, those conferences, is it's like our college. That is what we have yeah. as contractors as school. And I've learned so much from listening to people speak, any little tidbit. I Amy Ron from New South, she gave me the tidbit a few years ago. She said, ask for your net 15, just at doing a speech. Ask for your net 15 if you're going to do TV. And I did that. I saved like $85,000 just in one year yeah. for asking for my net 15. I mean, just one little thing. So one I spent a tiny little thing. Yeah. yeah spent a few hundred from bucks a going to a super, conference. Yeah. From a super, super smart person with experience. Yeah. And and think about how much money that saves me over the course of the five, six years. Yeah. So it, you learn so much from these conferences. I can't even say enough. Yeah. Cool. Well, Abby, look, I could keep going with you for hours. I'm going to, I'm going to call you back and have you back again. Awesome. I'd like cool that. With that, maybe in a few months, I want to I want to get an update on your showroom and how your expansion plans are going. There's a lot more for us to talk about, but God, I wish you nothing but continued success. You are wow. Thanks. I, I'm not normally impressed, but I am very. Maybe I shouldn't say that on the recording. 
but wow, I'm, I'm very impressed and really happy for you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Wow. So everybody look, okay. So I say this a lot, but, and I mean it every single time I say it, this is an episode you want to go back and listen to again, because she laid out so much good stuff. This is one of those episodes where you could sit with a notebook and actually sit and take notes from everything that she said. So I hope that you guys will do that because I promise you, if you listen to this again more carefully, you will get a lot of really good tidbits on and that could really help improve your your business. And and you know, and that's why this thing exists. Abby and and you know nobody gets paid to come and do this you're taking out of your time to be here and to do this and to give back and and I really appreciate it and hopefully there's some people out there that will you know listen to this again take some notes and implement some of the ideas into their businesses so that they can make the money that they deserve as well and get the free time and build the business for whatever they want so I'll stop now Until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian.